So let me ask you a question. How many of you are familiar with a pendulum? You know what that is? It's like an old clock. You have uh, that, that rod with a weight. It just swings from side to side, one extreme to the other. Well, that idea, the pendulum, is, is something we use in our language to describe our tendency to go from one extreme to the other, right? We say it's kind of a pendulum effect. Well, this morning, I want to identify, begin our time by identifying a huge pendulum in the Christian world, a huge pendulum in the Christian world, one of our biggest. Uh, And I do this this morning because our text, the one that was just read, is one of the main texts that is used to push the pendulum all the way over to the other side. And so I think for us, in light of that, it's going to be good for us to start here so we can have a framework as we work through this text. Uh, And our pendulum this morning has to do with our relationship with wealth and God. All right, so follow me here. So our pendulum on one side, on one extreme, okay, we'll put it on this side. The pendulum swings over here into something we call poverty theology. Poverty theology, sometimes called um, libertarian theology, is on this side. And what this is, is we look at our Bible and we read all of the text that says, the the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Don't be greedy. Don't covet. Don't be about the things of this this world. We we read in Acts with the whole church just kind of selling all their stuff and it was awesome. They weren't tied to all this stuff. We Let's just be honest. Let's look at our Savior. He came in this lowly manger, right? It, this lowly manger. We, we, we read his teachings that said how difficult it is for a wealthy man to get to the kingdom of heaven, right? So we read these texts and we see passages like this. Uh, actually, see passages like the one my lovely wife just read. Woe to you rich people, right? And, and so we, we read these texts. And so throughout history, there have been those who have been over here that have said, rich people are not good. If we really want to come to know Jesus, we need to be rid of ourselves of all these earthly things and come to him. The less we have, the closer we are or the closer we can be to God. That's uh, what we call poverty theology. So sell it all. Hallelujah, right? Not exactly. Um, in this system, there is this feeling like, like those who have are in some way not as holy as those who don't, right? In this system, uh, you feel more spiritual when you don't have anything. Uh, the major flaw of, of this theology is that it ignores so much of what the Bible teaches about wealth and what the Bible teaches about how we are supposed to handle wealth, which we're going to talk about that in just a little bit more. But um, the reality is, is that poverty does not bring you any closer to our Father. Wealth does not bring you any closer to our Father. Jesus brought us to our Father, and it does not matter what we have. This, this is the, um, it's irregardless of the size of our bank account or the sizes of our home. Jesus paid the price. And so this represents, we'll put it over here, poverty theology. This is the pendulum way over on this side. Now, there has been a response to this in another camp within Christianity uh, that have seen the error in this 
and have taken the pendulum and run it over to this side. The other side of this pendulum we'll call prosperity theology. So you have poverty theology over here, prosperity theology over here. What, what prosperity theology does is you read your Bible and you read that the people of God are blessed by God, aren't they? The people of God are blessed, that it's one of the signs. Uh, look at all the people God chose to use. Most of them are wealthy. I mean, you think of Job, you think of Abraham, you think of, how about David, how about Solomon, the, the wealthiest guy ever. Uh, you think of them. You think, well, God's people are blessed. Doesn't he want that? I mean, if God commands us to, to take care of the widow and the orphan, doesn't that require us to have something to take care of them with? I've heard it said, broke people don't feed people, right? So we, 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 we need money in order to do these, these things. Also, um, to live as God's people, doesn't that mean that we walk in some kind of favor, right? Some kind of favor, uh, meaning that in this life, doesn't God want us as his children who love him and who he loves us to be happy, to be healthy, and to be wealthy, right? That's over here in the prosperity theology. This is prosperity theology. This way of thinking is not only prevalent here in America, but it is, it is prevalent all throughout the world. Um, it's sad to me that this theology is taking root in even third world countries. And the message that they receive is, is come to know Jesus and he's gonna make everything okay for you. You're, if you come to him, he wants to bless you and he's gonna pour out on you. You're not gonna have to worry about your, your, your family poverty anymore. And so people are coming to Jesus with this idea that he's gonna change their, their poverty that they, that they live in um, because after all, God wants his people to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. That is incredibly sad for a lot of reasons. Let me make an argument for us on this. Prosperity gospel, in prosperity gospel or prosperity theology, we don't really love God. We use God to get the things that we do love and that's his stuff. So in prosperity gospel, we, it's not that we don't like God, but we, we use him as kind of a means to another end, right? So if we do this, he's gonna bless me and I'm gonna get that. In other words, I don't really want this, I want that, and the way to get that is to go through him because he gives that. You see the, it's subtle, it's subtle, but that's prosperity theology. We, we are worshiping our God, just it's not the one true God. It's the one true God stuff. That's kind of the way that that pans out. So that's over here. We have poverty theology over here. And the truth is that we, in response to prosperity, we, we don't give in order to receive. We give because he gave. We give because he is, we are his. And so you have poverty, you have prosperity. Both of these, stream, these extremes are very dangerous. Both of them are extremely dangerous. Um, and you're gonna see both of these being taught. They're, they're two prominent camps in our Christian world. And neither one of these extremes, if you take this and put it up to this, they will fall apart. Neither one are coherent with the whole of scripture. And so... Um, one more thing before I talk about the middle. Uh, on the 
prosperity side, churches that teach this are typically gonna talk about money a lot because it's, it's viewed as the way that we get blessing. We give to receive, so give so we can receive and be blessed. We they talk about it a lot. Over, over here, though, in the poverty side, very rare will a church ever speak about money. It's a dirty word. Or when they do, it's, it's to talk about it in a negative light, in a negative light. Um, fortunately, though, there's an option that takes the pendulum and brings it to the center. And I want to talk about that option that avoids the extremes, and it's called stewardship theology. Stewardship theology. Uh, it says this, everything that you have has been given to you, including your money, but everything, your time, your talent, everything, it's been given to you, entrusted to you to use and to manage for the glory of God. That's stewardship theology. Whether great, whether small, it doesn't matter. You're gonna give an account for the way that you have used the things that God has placed in your hands to use. That's stewardship theology. No matter what you have, the question is, are you faithful? It's not a question of, is God looking for his people to be rich or is God looking for his people to be poor? The question is, God is, is are we faithful? God is looking for those who are faithful. Um, this is stewardship theology. And so with this pendulum in mind, okay, I want us to step into our text this morning um, because I think it's going to be a good framework for us. So when we step into, our, into James chapter 5, uh, the context for us is pretty easy to see. It's pretty simple right at the beginning, uh, who James is referring to. It's, it's the same people who he's referring to, if you don't if you remember in uh, chapter two, when he says, are not the rich ones the one who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? He's talking about the same people here in, in chapter five. So the church was being persecuted. Um, they were by, by wealthy landowners who were in many ways above the law and they were being taken advantage of by these, these people. And these people, as we're going to see, are not condemned for their wealth. They're condemned for the sinful misuse of it and the sinful way they acquired it. Um, historically, even outside of this biblical text, which is really kind of interesting, we have records that talk about these people. So in ancient uh, text, they talk about these landowners who exploited their workers, pushed them to the point of death, didn't pay them, kind of became slavery. It was awful. We have records of them kind of in, in really kind of greedy business transactions. These were not stand-up people, right? And, and James here is, a, is speaking directly to them, and he's going to call out four things. I want us to walk through these four things, and then we'll land the plane on the other side. Um, but James is going to call f out four things. And so I want to look at these things one at a time. Let's start with the first one. You see this in verse two and three. And we'll call it the selfish hoarding of wealth. The selfish hoarding of wealth. James says that your riches have, have rotten or rotted, that your garments are moth eaten, your gold and silver have corroded. Uh, all of these things happen to those things that we put in storage units and don't touch for a long time, right? It's talking about hoarding, 
the hoarding of wealth. Um, it says that all of those things, that corrosion is going to be evidence that you have laid up treasure for yourself in the last days. It, it sounds a lot like Matthew 6 when Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. Same thing. Or where thieves break in and steal. It's all temporal, right? If you were here last week, we talk about our lives being a mist. And this ties back to that. It's temporal, um, our lives are only myths. And, and even more than that, I want to draw your attention to another text. It's in Luke 12. Uh, Jesus here says, uh, take care and be on your guard. This starts in verse 13. Against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. Listen to this. Uh, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And listen to this. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So putting our confidence in things that are fleeting, we build more and more and more and more. We amass more, we amass more. And God says, fool. Uh, have you ever met a hoarder? You don't have to admit if you are one. Um, Better question, have you seen, there was a show that used to be on called Hoarders. Uh, have you seen it? It's fun. Um, these people have literally buried themselves in their homes. Some of them, I mean, literally, they cannot physically get out of their home anymore because of how they have buried themselves. And, uh, themselves. and they just have stuff on stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff. And in the shows that I saw, I don't know if this is every show, but the, they, they step in and they try to kind of save them from themselves in a way. Every time they do, it seems like the people have this profound connection to the stuff that if you take away like a piece of paper that was on, they, they feel it in their soul and, it, and it's just crazy. It's crazy. We read this, or we, we uh, watch this, and we, we think, well, those people are weird, right? It's a good thing I'm not like that. All the time, not wanting to draw attention to our garages or our storage units. It's a good thing I'm not like that. Um, hear me, this morning, this text, I am not coming down on sentimental people. Maybe your garage is full of stuff that your kids drew you. I'm not like this, so I don't get you. But if you are that way, <laughs> I'm not coming down on you for this. Maybe you just are a sentimental person and you pack it tight in your garage with all that stuff. That's fine. That's fine. Um, what I am calling out is what, what Jesus, what James has called out in this text. And that is the things that we amass, the things that we hoard in order to find our confidence in our security and our identity. And what, what Jesus says in this, in this text is our garages, our storage units, our bank accounts are full of stuff that's not coming with us. They're full of stuff that, is, that they're not coming with us. And our things are not evil, but our things are a great indicator of a heart issue that we might have. Um, so in light of that, I wanna give us three questions that I'll put up here. I want us to... Um, I want us to read them, 
and I want us to think through and answer them honestly, okay? Not out loud, but answer them honestly. These three questions are a great way to identify and diagnose some of our hoarding tendencies, okay? Let's, let's look at them. Number one, do you tie your security to it? Number two, do you tie your identity to it? Or number three, do you tie your life's purpose to acquiring it? Do you tie your security, your identity, or your life's purpose to acquiring it? And if, you, if you're here and you think, well, if I'm honest, I, I, I sense those tendencies in my, in my heart. I sense that. Um, if you're here, or if you want to guard yourself from it, um, practically one of the best things that we can do right now to, to step into this and to not ignore it is to simply take a look at our calendars and our budget our calendars, and our budget. Take them, put them out, because what you do with your money and your time is a great indication of where your heart is. So take a look at your calendar and your budget. We're gonna come back to this, but I wanna look at the second thing that James calls out. We see this one in verse four, the exploitation of others. So these, these wealthy landowners in this context felt like they were in many ways above the law, that they could act this way and not pay a consequence because they were probably paying the salary of the person who would have punished them. They were, they were in a place that they were comfortable and they felt like they were untouchable. That was them because they owned it all. In this context, what the, what the rich did in secret and thought that they could get away with, God is saying is gonna come to the surface. Uh, they felt like they were above the law. It reminded me of a text, and this is literally from the law in Deuteronomy 24. It said, you shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he's one of your own brothers or one of the sojourners who, um, who are in your land with, within your towns. You should give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for if he is a poor man, he counts on it, lest he cry out against you, Lord, and you be guilty of sin. This is exactly what was happening. This is exactly what was happening here. And James is speaking out against those people. So in light of this rebuke, I just thought that we could kind of take an inventory in this one. Um, it's important to examine ourselves. Ways that we maybe have used our position, used our, our influence, our power, used our, uh, I guess influence is the best word, to misuse the people under us. Uh, for some of you, this will apply directly because maybe you have employees at work. Maybe you have people that report to you. Um, maybe you have a, there's some business owners in this room. Uh, just because you can, just because you have the power doesn't mean you should. And so God's word calls us to treat those below us fairly, to not cut corners to benefit ourselves, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, some of you are here, though, and you're just saying amen because you think your boss is a jerk. You're like, just preach it. I'll get the recording. I'll make sure he listens to it. Uh, some of you are here. I want to uh, encourage you this morning that rather than focusing your energy on them and their stuff, which you could be here and you could be in a season or in a place where you're being treated terribly, uh, my encouragement for you is this, that, that all throughout Scripture, including this text, it is so clear that God's heart is, he will defend the defenseless. 
That's God's heart, that he cares for those who are vulnerable. So whether or not you're in a place where you feel like you're being treated uh, fairly, God has been and he is always in the business of stepping in, helping the hurting, vindicating the vulnerable, defending the defenseless. This is what he's always been about. So I say this because I want you to, to see this so that you can step in and use this as a, as a place to place your confidence in God, that he's not left you if this is where you are right now. And I know that some of us are in that place right now, but God has not left you and that you can have confidence in him that he will be who he has always been. And that is someone who loves and steps in for those who are hurting. Let's move to the third thing. So we've seen selfish hoarding of wealth. We've seen exploitation. Number three, self-indulgent lifestyle. We see this in, number, in verse five. Uh, in verse five. This one, unfortunately, doesn't need a lot of unpacking. This one, if we're honest, stings just a little bit. Um, These people had all the means that they needed to live the way they wanted to live. They had all the means at their fingertips. They got to live in luxury. There was nothing that was held back for them in this text. Uh, and, and James says with powerful imagery that you're filling yourselves like a fat cow for the day of slaughter. That's bold. Um, you are filling yourselves just like a, a cow before the slaughter. And that day of slaughter is the day of judgment when we stand before Jesus, our great judge. And on that day, these people are going to give an account for the way they have used the things that God has placed in their hands to use. And on that day, James says, you're, you're like a cattle, or you're like cattle being fattened for the kill, adding to your judgment. So this one stings. Um, as Americans, this one stings. And I love my nation. I love my nation. I'm grateful for this nation. And as a follower of Jesus in my nation, I see that this is a great tendency of all of us to walk into this. Because in general, our community, for the most part, is pretty well-fed. Some would argue too well-fed, but we are pretty well-fed. We are pretty well-resourced, right? We, we, we are in the land of opportunity, as we call it. And I love that. And in this land of opportunity, what can happen though is we can begin to chase after God's stuff more than God himself. We can begin to chase after financial security more than our security in Christ. We can uh, begin to, as we talked about last week, which I think is the great temptation for us today, is to think that we are okay without God. And as, as I said Earlier, I think one of the best things that we can do is to pull back and do a little gut check on ourselves and pull out our calendar and our budget. It's a great exercise. We're going to come back to this um, and ask the hard question. Am I spending my life on indulging myself or am I spending my life intentionally to use what God has given me faithfully? Look at those two things and ask yourself the honest question. And James says, so we've hoarded, they've hoarded selfishly. They've exploited people. They've lived self-indulgent lives. And lastly is they've oppressed the righteous. This is verse six. Uh, they have oppressed the righteous. Now, this is a specific reference to what was happening in their culture. This is, this is 
not imagery. This is not analogy. This happened. James was addressing something that was literally happening in this text. The church was a, was a small group of people who were being pushed and pressed, marginalized, persecuted, and a lot of it was coming from the hands of these wealthy landowners who felt as though they were above the law. Uh, As James 2 said, they were throwing them in courts. As our text here says, they were exploiting them. The have-nots were being uh, persecuted by the haves. That's what was happening here. And honestly, by the grace of God, I mean, we face this a little bit, but by the grace of God, we don't face this by and large. Yet, we don't, right? By the grace of God, we can stand here and say we don't face this yet. But here, it's not a promise that that thing, kind of thing will never happen to us. But right now, by the grace of God, we, we don't see this happening, nor are we exempt from it happening in the future. Let me say with confidence, though, if that happens here, we can have confidence that just as God has been faithful to our brothers and sister, sisters all over the world, just as God has been faithful for generations to his people, that God will be faithful, that we are in good hands. I just said what Allstate said, um, that we are in good hands. I couldn't resist. I just kind of left it there. Anyway, so James says that you selfishly hoard wealth. You exploit, you defraud those under you. You are self-indulgent. You oppose the righteousness. And James says, because of that, judgment is coming. So we began with the pendulum. We began with the pendulum. Uh, I want you to think back on that. It would be completely inappropriate for us to use this text and to say, see, God doesn't like rich people. He doesn't like them. Uh, it would be inappropriate for us to say, see, wealth is, wealth is e- evil. Again, the problem wasn't the amount of cash in the bank account. That wasn't the problem here. The heart condition was the problem. And what happened here is the heart condition was accentuated by the fact they had means to make their evil desires happen. That was the problem. It was a heart condition. Um, I want you to hear me. God doesn't call all his people to be poor. God does not call all his people to be rich. And God does not call all his people to be middle. The call is to be faithful. Be cautious of any Christian teacher who stands in front of you and who tries to convince you that there is one financial class of people that are truly blessed by God. Please be cautious of anyone who stands up that says we need to be this kind of person for this is the sign that God, be cautious, be leery of that because God does have a financial type. It's not poor, it's not rich, it's not middle, it's faithful. It's faithful steward with what you have in your hands. Here's what a faithful steward looks like. Everything that you've been given has been given you to you to manage. Like we said, this isn't all finances. This is your time. This is your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your energy. It's everything, and it's been given to you on loan. It's been invested into you, and there will come a day when you are going to stand before Jesus, and you're going to give an account for the way you handled 
all of those things that were dropped into your hand. There's gonna come a day when we will give an account and a faithful steward uses the resources that God has given us intentionally as an act of, of worship before God. Do you have little? Are you faithful? Do you have a lot? Are you faithful? It's not about quantity of your funds. It's about the quality of your faithfulness. So are you generous? Are you missional? Or, or are you stingy? Are you self-centered? Think about all that you've been given. Are you generous with the people in your life? Are you generous with the people in your life, with your time, with your money, with your, your gifts, your abilities? Are you generous with the people in your life? And remember, it's not about the amount, it's about your faithfulness. Are you generous with the people in your life? Are you generous with your church? Lean in. Lean in. If you call this your home, lean in. If you call somewhere else your home, lean in. Lean in. If you don't have a place to lean in, to get involved, to start using your gifts, your abilities, to start pouring in what God has given you financially. If you don't have a place, you need to get involved somewhere that's bigger than yourself. And the church is a phenomenal way that you can step in and be about something bigger than yourself. It's one of the beauties of the church. Are you on mission? And let me take a time out here. I am not asking and not, this isn't a call to, for money. In fact, um, if you were to leave here today, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, if you were to leave here today, never give a dime to this church. But because of what God did here, you went and you poured in somewhere else. You poured into somewhere you call home. You poured into somewhere you believe in. That is a win. That is a win for us. It's not about us. It's about being faithful stewards. You have to hear me. Um, and more than that, let me, let me just push this further. This is true for us as individuals, but it's also true for us collectively as a church that we are called to be generous because our God is generous. And so we as a church are called to step into that, be generous. There's nothing worse than stingy people taking advantage of generous people. There's nothing worse. And at Stone Oak Bible, I never want us here to be accused of that. But that we can be generous. We believe in generosity because our God is a generous God. And remember again, this goes far beyond our money. For some of us, it's a lot easier if it were just money. But when you're talking about my time, I mean, I don't have much of that. If you're talking about my energy, if you want me to use a gift and ability, you want me to put myself out there like that, for some of us, that is far more difficult far more difficult. Are you stingy with that? Or are you generous? Um, are you investing into what is important? We've talked a lot about the budget and the calendar. What do they indicate? What do they indicate? Do they indicate materialism? Do they indicate a life that is focused and transformed by Christ? They're going to indicate something. I promise my wife and I have done this. They do indicate something. When you look at your budget, when you look at the way you spend your time and your money, God does bring stuff into your, your life 
that you didn't know was there? What are they indicating? And remember, money is not evil. Things are not evil. Calendar is not evil. They are just neutral things that can be really good at indicating our heart conditions. Um, so what does the way you spend, hoard, save, use, manage money say about your heart? What does the way you spend or handle your time say about your heart? What does the way that you spend and handle your energy or use your talents say about your heart? Maybe you're here and you, uh, you have, you're just not generous to the people around you. You can't remember the last time that you did something that showed generosity. Maybe you're here and you have never given to a local church and you have sworn never to give to a local church. Maybe you're here and maybe you start to see some of the materialism. Maybe you're here and you have a gift. You have a gift, you have ability, you have a talent, you have a passion, but you have never had the courage to step out, go out on a limb and be used. Maybe that's you. Maybe that is you. And if, if you're here and you've never acted on any of that, my message to you is really simple this morning. There is grace in Jesus Christ. As a church, we are not gonna judge you because it's never been our place to be your judge. It's been our place to point you to Jesus. So there's grace in Jesus. But number two, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Uh, maybe you did the James Initiative and you thought, well, that was cool. I could do more of that. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Maybe you're here and you know of someone specifically in your life right now that is hurting, that you could make a profound difference if you were just to pick up the phone. Start somewhere. Maybe you're here, you've never given before, you swore never to give. Start somewhere. Maybe you're here and you have never had the courage to step out. You've been waiting for the writing on the wall. Here is your writing on the wall. <laughs> Start somewhere. Uh, maybe you're here and you have been mismanaging your time, your money, your energy, and it's time to get a handle. Start somewhere. And again, this is not a message because we're hurting as a church. This is not a message because we are hurting as a church. This is a message to get us to use what God's given us in our hands for his glory, regardless of where that is. It's not our kingdom, it's his. Wherever that plays out, that's what this is about. And I wanna, I wanna end with this this morning. Um, whatever you have, whatever your financial worth, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, whatever you've been given, God has invested that into you to be used. And at the end of your life, at the end of all of this, you're gonna stand before Jesus. What have you done with the investment? In Matthew 25, there's this scene of this happening and, and Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good, my faithful servant. My hope is that we will be a people, that we will be a church who will hear those words. Well done, my good, my faithful servant. Would you pray with me? God, help us to see with your eyes 
Help us to see not only the people in our lives through your eyes, but help us to see what you've given us in our resources and our talents, our abilities. Help us to see all of that through your eyes. That you gave those things to us so that we can show off your glory through them. That you gave those things to us not so we can bury them, but that we can put them into use and that they could accomplish great things for you, that you can use them for your glory, God. God, give us eyes. Right now, I pray that you illuminate things in our lives and in our hearts. Illuminate the things in our lives, in our hearts, where we have begun to place our confidence in things that are not you. If that's our security, Father, bring that to our focus and help us to step into something that is far bigger than ourselves and realize that you've got us and that we can trust you. If it is, if it is something else, Father, just begin to illuminate through your spirit spaces in our life that are dark and teach us how to be better stewards of the resources you have given. I pray that for 100% of the people all of us in this room, 100% of the people who walked through this door, that we will all leave collectively being better, faithful stewards for your glory. That is our prayer. And all of that, we pray for your glory, not our own, that more people will see your good news, that more people will see your gospel in action, that we will be hearers and doers of your word, and that our that all the, our community will see it and know you. In Jesus' name, amen.